Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather round your word, may we learn how to live each day in your presence and please you in every way. Jesus Christ, as you challenge us with your word, may we take up our cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, as you encourage us through your word, cause your fruit to ripen in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Amen. Sidney Pigden was a fighter pilot who joined the RAF at 18 and flew hurricanes and spitfires in World War II. After the end of the war, he took part in a fly-past over Buckingham Palace. Then he turned to teaching at Turnham College in south-east London, where he was also a sports coach. One day in the early 70s, he was walking down the corridor and he saw a little seven-year-old boy stood there, who had been sent out of class for being disruptive. By his own admission, in later years, that boy would say, he was naughty, he was full of rage, he struggled to communicate without getting into fights, and he was struggling at school. But something that day caused Sidney Pigden to stop. He chatted to the young boy. Life wasn't good for him at home. His father had left home. His stepfather was abusive. His mother was struggling with alcoholism. And Mr. Pigden took him under his wing. He taught him how to read and write properly. He taught him how to communicate with others. He noticed the lad was quite good at football and encouraged him and gave him a few tips. Things as basic as why you have to pass the ball to other people and why it wasn't right to shout abuse at people who weren't as good at you as you or made mistakes. Mr. Pigden wasn't a soft touch. If the boy was disruptive or didn't put the effort in at school, he wasn't allowed to play football. He was the first strong, positive male role model in the boy's life. Things didn't necessarily go smoothly for the young boy straight after. He struggled to make his way in football, even spent a couple of weeks in prison. But in time, that youngster went on to become a footballer I'm pretty sure most of us have heard of. Ian Wright. Or Ian Wright, 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 as they used to chant at Highbury when he was on his way to becoming Arsenal's record goalscorer. And there's a beautiful clip on YouTube of a grown-up Ian meeting Sidney Pigden. Wright thought his old mentor was long dead. And he stood up, he stood a row, he comes into the stadium behind Ian Wright, he stood a row behind Ian Wright, so Wright only really comes up to his chest. And Wright says it was like he was a seven-year-old boy again, as he laid his head on Pigden's chest and wept. Pigden would go on to say that seeing Wright play for England was the proudest moment of his life, even prouder than flying over Buckingham Palace. And Wright dedicated his autobiography to his teacher and unveiled a plaque at what is now Turnham Academy after, shortly after Pigden died. He was a strong, powerful role model who transformed a young lad's life. 
but he did it with gentleness. We're continuing our exploration of the fruit of the Spirit as described by an early Jesus follower called Paul in a New Testament letter called Galatians. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And today we're thinking about gentleness. Virtually everyone who has spoken to me about these fruit of the Spirit in recent weeks has said something about how challenging they are. And that's something I, this is something I can't emphasize enough. If you feel that way, don't be discouraged. It's kind of the point. If we could do it on our own, it wouldn't be fruit of the Spirit. This is God at work in our lives. And there are some, I imagine, we'd like to feel we've made some kind of progress with. Kindness and goodness. Faithfulness, we might know is a bit challenging. We can be aware of how fickle we are. Patience, well, we probably just wish it wasn't there. But gentleness, well, it's an odd one. Even as I've sat with this subject over the last few weeks, uh, I can think of several times I've not felt or been especially gentle. And I'm sure I'm not alone. It's much easier to aspire or to preach about gentleness than it is to live it. And I'm not even sure we always really want it, or not all of it anyway. We can sometimes think of gentle people as timid, soft, spineless. It's linked with meekness, which itself is often linked with weakness. Not a trait that people think is going to get them very far in business or politics or perhaps even church life. And it might have come as a surprise for the Galatian Christians that gentleness was in Paul's list at all. It wasn't a character trait that was undervalued in Paul's world. It was actually despised. They looked up to strong, powerful, dominant figures, winners, people who got things done. Whereas the meek, they got trampled on. Aristotle had a slightly higher view of it. He saw it as finding that kind of right balance between the people who get angry about everything and the people who are so apathetic they never get angry about anything. And there's something to that. How much of our anger is at root quite selfish or self-indulgent? But at the same time, there are some things about which it is quite right to get angry, particularly if that anger drives you to positive action rather than just lashing out. But even with Aristotle, it was seen as something of a negative trait, not being one thing or another. But gentleness or true meekness is not weakness. In Ian Wright's story, Mr. Pigden was a far more powerful influence on the young Ian's life than the other bigger, stronger man. Meekness is about recognizing your strength, but keeping it under control. In many ways, it's like, in, it's like what, linked to what we'll talk about next week when we look at self-control. It's about knowing your strength and capacity, but using it or diverting it in helpful, healthy ways. 
The Hebrew word, or Hebrew version of the word, crops up surprisingly rarely in the Old Testament. But its usage is fairly consistent and helping us for understanding what Paul is driving at. It's always rooted in the word healing. In Proverbs, we read, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness or harshness in it crushes the spirit. Oh, we know that to be true. How often have you been in that position where you're in an argument with someone you know well, possibly even truly love, you know, a spouse, a partner, a parent, a child, and you know precisely the thing that you could say which would take this up a notch? That thing that you're thinking, I really shouldn't say that. But even as you're thinking it, it's out. And you've just taken it up to that whole new level. Gentleness can diffuse a situation. Harsh words rarely, if ever, help or heal. Gentleness or meekness doesn't mean being a walkover. It doesn't mean you gloss over inconvenient truths. But you can challenge, rebuke and correct in ways which are helpful and likely to promote restoration and healing. And you can do it in ways which merely foist your anger, brokenness and hurt onto someone else. And you do it in ways that don't even help you. You see something of this in Jesus' words from Matthew 11. These are some of Jesus' best loved words. If you can remember back to the dim and distant days when we met in church, you will, might remember those words are on the wall by the prayer circle in our building. But I'm not even sure I've ever heard about them talked in anything but isolation. And they come at a particular point. Jesus has been teaching and preaching and healing in and around Galilee. At this time, John the Baptist is in prison. He challenged Herod about his moral behaviour and was locked up for his trouble. And many had wondered whether John might be the promised Messiah. But John had denied this and pointed to Jesus as the one they should be looking for. Which in some ways makes it odd what happens next. John starts to hear all about what Jesus is up to. And he sends some of his followers to Jesus to ask are you the one we should be looking for, or should we expect someone else? Jesus, it seems, isn't all John had expected him to be. Perhaps even what John wanted him to be. John's message had been very much fire, brimstone, judgment. And Jesus wasn't completely free of those things, but his emphasis was certainly tilted in a different direction. And in all sorts of ways, Jesus could not have been more different from John. Which got John wondering, maybe he's just got this whole thing wrong. And Jesus says, go back and tell John what you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. Good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who doesn't stumble on account of me. Like Elijah earlier, it seems John wanted Jesus to be a bit more to the point. Telling people where they were getting it wrong. Threatening them with judgment if they didn't change their ways. And Jesus says, John, I know 
what you expected. And you operated differently. But if you look carefully at your scriptures, you'll see I'm doing the right thing. And Jesus didn't dismiss John. John had played his role. John woke people up. John created the space and the potential for people to be receptive to what Jesus would bring. But Jesus goes on to highlight something we also know to be true. Some people are never happy. They'll always find a reason to grumble or complain rather than be challenged or changed. So he says, you know, John came to you. He was all austere. He was fire and brimstone. And you thought, what a fanatic madman. Jesus says, I come, you, come to you in the completely opposite way. And you complain, he's a bit chilled and liberal, isn't he? Grace and gentleness can be rejected or taken for granted. Jesus lists a series of places where that happened to him. Gentleness is risky. It can be thrown back in your face. You can't control how people receive what you offer. Ian Wright was free to reject the support of Mr. Pinkton. Then Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Gentle and humble in heart. Gentle. Those listening would have recognized what Jesus was saying. Come to me was the standard invitation of a rabbi to those whom he thought were up to following him. A yoke was the name a rabbi gave to their way of life or the body of teaching in which they planned to instill in their students. But normally this invitation was presented quite differently. Most rabbis had a reputation to keep up. They only wanted the best of the best. Time wasters need not apply. They often made their way or their yoke seem really rigorous. They wanted you to know how challenging their way of life was. The message was, come to me if you think you can handle it. You could learn from me, but the chances are you're not going to be able to hack it. Jesus' invitation couldn't have been more different. He wanted us to know that God considered us all worthy of his love. That, though, you know, that God had room for us all, from those who had tried and failed, those who never really got started because it all just seemed too much onerous to begin with. And in fact, the only thing that stood in the way was thinking you never really needed him in the first place, that you could do it all by yourself. But we're invited to come because he is gentle. We're invited to come just as we are and we'll be welcomed with grace and with gentleness rather than judgment. That doesn't mean life is without challenge. Jesus is calling us to a transformed life and gentleness does not preclude that. Mr. Pigden took Ian Wright just as he was, but his longing was to see him blossom into the man he could be. And Mr. Pinkton pushed him. He pushed him hard. 
but always with the purpose of growth and healing. And so it is with God and us. We're not called to an easy, challenge-free life. We're called to transformation. And there are times when growth is more painful than others. But there is also a gentleness to that transformation. Jesus has come that we might know healing and restoration, not condemnation or judgment. And it's a similar gentleness that he wants to instill in us, his children. There was a 4th century writer called Ambrose who wrote a piece called In Praise of Gentleness. And to him, gentleness brought more growth to the church than any other virtue. He asked how anyone could come to us for healing if they thought they would be an object of contempt rather than compassion. And much as we'd hate to admit it, contempt is a lot easier than compassion. Contempt allows us to feel superior, to ignore the frailties and vulnerabilities within ourselves. And the faithful are just as vulnerable to that as anyone else. But it doesn't bring life. It merely crushes the spirit. And that's not the work of God. Compassion requires that we own our frailty and vulnerability. Not foist them onto others. And maybe that's why gentleness is so far down this list. Because it's one of the bigger challenges to do just that. Only those who allow God to do the deepest work in their souls will truly discover it. It's why gentleness is in such deep deficit in our world. But we struggle with it because we fear judgment when all the while God wants us to experience love and gentleness, compassion rather than contempt, love rather than anger. When we recognise our own vulnerability, weakness, sinfulness, frailty, and yet see how loved and precious we are within that, so we come to see we have nothing to prove, we have nothing to gain, and we are free to be healed and encounter others from that place of healing. Our anger, our hurt, our brokenness is dealt with by Jesus. There's no need to foist it on to others. And as the Spirit does that work within us, we are free to be gentler with ourselves and to extend that gentleness to others. And we become trees of healing rather than crushers of spirit. So may we be open to allow ourselves, to allow God to take us just as we are and do his deep but gentle work within us. May we know how loved and accepted and precious we are, just as we are. But may we know and experience that compassion and gentleness in ourselves. May it transform us and flow from us to others, that they may too find us to be a people of compassion rather than contempt. May we be a people of restoration and healing rather than condemnation and judgment. May we grow into people of gentleness through whom Jesus empowers others to find rest for their souls. Grace and peace to you.
Amen.